Hello, 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 and welcome back to my podcast, That Show Fucked Me Up. It is I, the beautiful, the talented, the funny, your host, Mariel Vizcarra. Cue in the applause. Hi, everyone. We have made it to the end of the first season of That Show Fucked Me Up. What an honor. I was going to say what a journey, but you know, I always use that same word about how it's been such a great journey. So what a fucking honor, y'all. Um, I figured I could use this episode to, you know, as like a wrap up, a debrief of the whole season, um, answer any lingering questions and also bring uh, forward your accounts of how this show, specifically The Haunting of Hill House, fucked you up. When I first released this ep- uh, this podcast or the trailer for it, I mentioned how I wanted to uh, build a community of TV junkies uh, with serious issues, but, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, with serious issues like myself, and I want to hear, I wanted to hear from you, and on the last episode, I asked you to write in to me, and hopefully by now you have, so I could uh, put your thoughts, your questions into the episode. Also, I wanted to go over a couple of articles I found regarding the whole show, and, you know, we could just go ahead and get started but before that let's go to our updates so personal update um it's my birthday (laughs) i'm recording this on october 3rd on october 3rd he asked me what day it was it was uh, on october 3rd he asked me what day it was it's october 3rd if you didn't get that reference, uh, why are you listening? Just kidding. <laughs> it's a Mean Girl reference in case you hadn't noticed. So, yes, I was born on Mean Girls Day before Mean Girls was a thing. I was born in 1995. It's my 26th birthday. Yeah, You might be asking, what is this bitch doing recording on her birthday? Mm, I don't have anything better to do. But yeah, I'm super grateful to have made it this far. At the same time, it's just like, you know, I'm 26 and I feel like I haven't accomplished much with my life. But I also know that I shouldn't be thinking like that because I'm 26 and I have my whole life ahead of me. And a very wise woman once said that you should chase your dreams till the day you died. And I'm going to do that. And do you know who that wise woman was? Do you want to know? That was me. I just made that up right now in this very second. Yes, I'm uh, amazing, uh, but we already knew that. And also, like, just because someone that's 26 is doing much better than me, that doesn't mean that I should compare my life or my experiences to them because we're not the same. And as someone else once said, and, you know, I think it was William Shakespeare, but I'm not sure. Uh, Comparison is the death. uh, No, comparison is the root to a heartache. And I, I, you know, I just love that line because it's true. You can't be out here comparing yourself to other people because that will make you miserable. And uh, misery is just bad company. But yeah. It's my birthday. It's my birthday. I could cry if I want to. Um, please, Drake. Drake, please don't sue me. Um, but 
you know, I was actually supposed to be on a trip this weekend, but, you know, I'm not. I'm home. I'm making the best out of my birthday this weekend, and we're going to record this episode. So, yes. Uh, So, those were my personal updates, just in case y'all were worried. But on a more, like, TV-focused update, guess what, y'all? Guess the fuck what? Oh my god, do my dogs not know that it's my birthday? Why are they barking? That's like so rude of them to be barking right now while I'm recording on my birthday. (laughs) You know what I remembered that uh, Tyler, the creator, um, you know, like little vine thingy where he's like, so you're not going to bring me a birthday gift on my birthday, on my birthday, on my birthday gift? That's not how it went, but you know what I mean. But I finally got a chance to binge uh, Midnight Mass, and oh my fucking god. I don't know if it's just because I just, like, covered The Haunting of Hill House, but I found all these little, like, um, what is it called? Easter eggs? Well, not, I guess, no, I wouldn't call them Easter eggs, but just, like, references to The Haunting of Hill House. And I wonder, if I uh, rewatch Bly Manor, if I'm gonna find, like, references to Bly Manor as well, because it was just certain times where I'm like, oh my god. Like, that phrase reminds me of, you know, one of Theo's monologues. Or, oh my god, they used the word scattered because Olivia's mind was a little scattered, you know? So just making those connections and, like, watching it was super interesting. And I don't want to give anyone any spoilers. Go watch it. Um, I think it deals with, like... Like I said, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but it's just like the hypocrisy of the, it's a commentary on the hypocrisy of like the church and stuff like that, but like with a horror twist. And just to end my little, um, you know, updates section, uh, fuck Beverly Keen. It's on site if I ever see that bitch. Uh, She's a character in Midnight Mass. uh, And she's actually played by the actress that played Lee on Haunting of Hill House. But oh my god. So you know, you know, we had issues. We had issues with Steven all throughout the season. But Steven Crane was a saint compared to Beverly Keen on Midnight Mass. And I stand by that. I would choose Steven Crane a thousand times before I even like choose Beverly Keen once. So yeah, those are my thoughts about Beverly Keen. Um, go watch it. Let me know what you think. I'm hearing, I heard a lot of like rave reviews before it was even like actually released. So by actual people that, you know, have like first, first access, what is that called? When you get to watch like TV shows or movies before they were even released, you know, Um, I don't know if there's an actual word for it, but like people that got to watch it before it like hit Netflix, but then I'm getting like mixed reviews from like people watching it, like people, normal people, (laughs) normal people like you and I. Uh, I liked it. I I fucked with it heavy. Um, it was different. It was a bit slow, but that I liked that pace because I get to like experience and like really think about all the words that were used. As a writer, I words are important. And if the writer chose those specific words, that means that they were chosen for a reason. So I like to look at all of that. Uh, Cinematography was amazing. Uh, Acting, yo. There wasn't as many child actors. There were more like teens, but still. um, 
the acting was mwah, chef's kiss. Kate Siegel is a goddess. Kate Siegel is the actress that plays Theo in The Haunting of Hill House, and she plays Erin um, Green on Midnight Mass. <sighs> Go watch it. Let me know what you think. We will definitely be covering this show on the future of that show, Fuck Me Up. So stay tuned for that. So I guess my update section kind of spilled into recommendations. Uh, but before we actually move on to recommendations, I just wanted to give a quick update. I have chosen the show that I will be covering next. It has been written down. It is set in fucking stone. I've made up my mind, and I will be sharing that information towards the end of the episode. So stay with me till then, and uh, hopefully you'll like this show as much as I do. When it came out, it fucked me up for sure. It just got... It, it it just got a great uh, response in the Emmy Award season. They got a lot of any Emmy nominations, and they won most of them. So if you know, you know what I'm talking about. Wink, wink. Uh, great actors come out in this show. Uh, chef's Kiss. So, yes, stay with me till the end, and I will let you know what show I picked. Okay, just one final update. I swear it's the last one. I've been getting great, great fucking gifts from like family and friends uh, related to the podcast. And I just love how they're everyone is super supportive of me and the podcast. I got a, like a black uh, hoodie and it has the that show fuck me up logo that was sent to my that was sent by my dear dear friend uh jessica jessica i love you i got a mug that says that i'm the best podcast host ever <laughs> from my friend carla and uh, she also sent me like haunting uh the haunting of hill house kind of like themed stickers um, my my mom and my sister got me um, a new mic, so now I have two mics. I could have one in like my hometown, and I could have one in my apartment, so I won't have to be like carrying it back and forth. So that's great, and a new headset. So I'm just like super grateful for everyone and how supportive everyone's been. Not not just the people that are sending me gifts and stuff like that, but just all the people that are listening to the uh, to the podcast and just being super encouraging and like telling me that they like the podcast and just sharing it and stuff like that i know i always say that but thank you all it means so so much you don't even know but now for real for real for real for real moving on to our recommendation sec uh segment um so i had it in the back of my head like all this time but i didn't recall until I actually looked at their Instagram and made the connection. But my dear friend Roxy's uh, boyfriend, Dan, has a podcast with uh, his friends and it's called Cinema Foos. And they do like uh, film reviews. And it's it's really it's a really interesting dynamic because they talk about an old like a new film. And then they talk about an older film with like kind of like similar, similar plots, similar, with some similarities. They don't have to be like complete. Well, that's 
that's what I'm getting because I uh, listened to a couple of their episodes. They were great. I listened to the one where they talked about uh, The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. And then they also talked about R Rosemary's Baby. Um, I listened to the other one where they covered that new movie, Nicolas Cage movie, Pig, and they compare it to this other movie. Well, th it's not a comparison. It's just like talking about it. They talk about the film. They don't like walk you through it like scene by scene, but they do talk about it and they talk about what their favorite parts were and then they rate it. So like from one to ten. And uh, go check them out. I really, really enjoyed their podcast. Hopefully, we can collaborate soon. That would be so amazing. And over on TV, yo, well, you know, I already talked about Midnight Mass. Go watch that shit. I'm going to be starting clickbait soon. They recommended that to me. Squid Game has gotten a lot, a lot of attention since it came out. And just by the trailer, I know that show will fuck me up. I haven't had time to binge it yet, but I will. I was just binging Midnight Mass, you know. Um, currently, just finished yesterday, Casa de Papel. Uh, so good. You know, I love like a good action uh, filled TV show movie. So it's just it, it keeps me on the edge of my seat. And they've done that amazingly. The last since the show started, you know, it's like a mindfuck. Everything. It's great. It's great. It's great. Um, I don't know why they separated out the last season into like two parts gives me harry potter vibes but you know um so the second part is going to be coming out in december so i'm looking forward to that other than that i don't think i'm watching anything new i've already talked about all the other shows i've watched um yeah i feel like a lot of new tv shows look really fucking interesting looking forward to all that tv watching but i think think that's it let's get started with our wrap-up episode of our the haunting of hill house let's let's do it let's fucking do it okay as i mentioned i found some really good articles that i wanted to go over so the first one's from uh the sun and it's called uh the the title of the article is good grief the haunting of hill house fans spot clever secret plotline but did you see it and it's um super super interesting because the five crane children represent the five stages of grief denial anger bargaining depression and acceptance steven represents denial and it, i would like to go through like each stage and just give you what it means so the first stage uh, denial it's when we lose someone or something important to us it is natural to reject the idea that it could be true. In turn, we may isolate ourselves to avoid reminders of the truth. Others who wish to comfort us may only make us hurt more while we're still coming to terms with the loss. So in what ways does Stephen represent denial? Well, it's fairly, fairly easy because my boy Stephen just denies everything. He denies uh, the experiences that his siblings had in Hill House. Uh, he denies the fact that, you know, uh, freaking Nellie's death could be anything other than suicide. And he denies the fact that the trauma from his childhood um, turned him into this fucked up adult and that 
that mental illness was actually caused by the ghost by living in a freaking haunted house. So yeah, there's that. Um, Shirley represents anger, and for anger, it's when it is no longer possible to live in denial. It is common to become frustrated and angry. Uh, We might feel like something extremely unfair has happened to us and wonder what we did to deserve it. So as we know, my girl Shirley is angry as fuck. She's angry at Stephen for writing the book of The Haunting of Hill House. And, oh, shit, I just dropped something. Sorry. She's angry at her brother and, you know, the blood money whole ordeal. Then she gets angry at Nellie for killing herself. Uh, then she gets angry at Theo and Kevin because she thinks they made out in a closet in her house. Um, so, yeah, Shirley is definitely anger number three bargaining and theo is bargaining so for bargaining it is uh so in this stage we might somehow seek to change the circumstances of the situation causing their grief for example a religious person whose loved one is dying might seek to negotiate with god to keep the person alive bargaining may help the grieving person cope by allowing them a sense of control in the face of helplessness So I think Theo tries to bargain in her own way and she she's trying to understand what happened to her sister. So that is why she goes in there and she touches her to try to figure it out and like maybe, you know, find an answer to to this mystery, you know, and as we know, she falls into this darkness herself because she wasn't able to figure it out, which causes like all this other, um, you know, responses from her, like not being able to see or feel anything at all. So I feel, I feel that's why Theo is considered uh, the bargaining stage. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I'm not super sure. Maybe I should research. Maybe maybe I should research that, but you know, we'll see. Um, Luke is obviously <laughs> depression, my boy Luke. So uh, depression, we feel the full weight of our sadness over the loss. Feeling extremely down in the wake of a loss is normal. However, it is important to be aware that clinical depression is different from grief, and they are treated differently by, by mental health professionals. Uh, interesting fact, but yeah, my boy Luke is going through it ever since, even before he found out that his sister was dead was dead and that's because they're they're twins they're they have a twin thing so he was his body was literally shutting down and then afterwards when he has to go and see her and he's just super upset and just like depressed he's depressed and grieving his his sister that he loved and then nally is acceptance acceptance is eventually the grieving person may come to terms with their loss accepting a loss does not necessarily mean that the person is no longer grieving in fact many grief experts say that grief can continue for a lifetime after a major loss and coping with the loss only becomes easier over time waves of grief can be triggered by reminders of the loss long after it has happened and long after the person has accepted it and this waves may also trigger a crossover into any of the other stages of grief 
So at the end, in the last episode, we see how Nellie accepts her death and lets everyone know that she wouldn't have changed anything, anything at all, that everything happened exactly as it should have happened. So I think that is the reason why she accepts what happened to her, because that means she got to save the rest of her siblings. I definitely think I want to look more into uh, Theo. So let me do that really quickly. I'm such a dumbass. So basically, in the article that I was referencing, it basically says why Theo is uh, bargaining. So fans argued that the sister is always searching for a better outcome, looking on the brighter side of things, and trying to rationalize situations. Um, I'm not sure I entirely agree with that, but that's interesting that other uh, fans of the show thought that. Because I feel like... Theo is not a negative person, I but she's not a positive person either. I feel like she's a realist, and that's why she's a doctor. So that's my point of view. Um, but yeah, so, and oh my God, my dog. S- sorry about that. <laughs> so basically, also, they're all born in that same order of the stages of grief, and Mike Flanagan also confirmed that via Twitter because when someone tweeted out that, you know, uh, I just realized that the Crane siblings represent the five stages of grief, he like subtweeted it and he was like, good catch. So he confirmed it. It's true. It was like a separate plot aside from like the actual story. So that I would I would have never caught that. I'm not that smart. <laughs> but I love that other people are smarter than me, and I appreciate that because now I'm able to see things from like completely different perspective. And then I uh, read this other um, article by. Sorry, why is it taking so long? Okay, the the article is uh, called "A Haunting of Hill House: Unnerving Modern Horror at Its Best." It's by Dominique Salberg, and so it just talks about how the haunting of hill house creates a family that we learn to deeply care for uh, because we see them struggling and we want to nurture them and we kind of like humanize or empathize with what they're going through and the the relatability makes the horror even more unnerving because it's something that could potentially happen to anyone you know maybe not the haunting part but like the actual real life struggles that these people go through, because, you know, there are people that struggle with all these um, things that they're going through and they didn't necessarily have like a scary childhood. You know, it's like how trauma impacts our adult life and it defies the rules of horror. So the Haunting of Hill House defies the rules of horror by killing Nellie off in the first episode. You know, very Game of Thrones-ish. Um, the, you know, kill the main character. When in doubt, kill the main character. I remember that from, like, I think um, my English class, my freshman English class. class. My freshman English English class. Oh my god, why is that a tongue twister? What the fuck? Uh shout out to Mr. Taylor. Um if you know, you know best 
one of the best English teachers out in my hometown. Did so much for, you know, us. But, um, yeah, so they defied the rules of horror because they don't really do that, you know. In horror, they literally kill people because, well, let's talk about the genre, you know. If it's like a, um, what are those called? What, where they just kill a bunch of people in horror movies. There's a specific name for a slasher film. Sorry. So if it's a slasher film, obviously, they're going to kill people right away. But this is not a slasher film. And it's just... They kill off Nellie in the first episode, which sets out these uh, events that we all learn to love. And it forces us to go through this, like, emotional journey with these uh, seemingly normal, with this seemingly normal family as they try to cope with Nellie's death, as well as address the issues within themselves and in their family. And this article talks about something that I uh, really, really enjoyed reading about. It's the depiction of a good, caring father in television and how it is so rare um, and it's so heartwarming to see due to all the current depictions of like bad slash absent fathers. So we get to see a father that genuinely cares about and genuinely cares. And not only that, loves his children and loves his wife and is hardworking, but at the same time still is still a victim of the house. So he's also hunted just like them. But since he's the adult, um, it's like the the camera, not the camera. There's like a shift in that we empathize more with children than we do with like Hugh because he's the adult and, you know, he should be like the one to like get it that, you know, like a haunted house is not real, but then it is. And he's also haunted by it. And we don't give him as much attention as we should. And I know his children disliked him at times because he didn't tell them what exact what actually happened that night their mom died. But from a viewer's perspective, there was never a question regarding his lo- his love for his children and all of the things that he did, good or bad, were to protect them. Also, this reminds me of the line that Hugh said in the last episode about how some things can be told, that you either experience them or you don't, because if you were to tell them out loud, you would be considered a crazy person. And that's exactly what happened to Hugh, because when he first uh, got taken to the police station for questioning, right when uh, right when we got back to the hotel, right um, when he called the police and he told them that it was the house he made himself look like a crazy person and at that exact time like point in time he had to make a decision to make sure that all his moves were calculated so that no one else would get hurt and he wasn't blamed for olivia's death which it wasn't his fault but a lot of people think he did it so when i googled how does a house become haunted the first like hit I got was Wikipedia on haunted houses and basically it just says a haunted house spook house spook house that's so cute or ghost house in ghost lore is a house or other building often perceived as being inhabited or by disembodied spirits of the deceased who may have been former residents or were otherwise connected with the property 
Parapsychologists often attribute haunting to the spirits of the dead who have suffered from violent or tragic events in the building's past, such as murder, accidental death, or suicide. So this kind of falls in line with the haunting of Hill House because we know that Hill House and all of their ghosts are people that lived at the house or worked at the house and then just died in the property so that makes sense but I feel like a lot of people die in their homes so there has to be more to the story like what has to happen to a house for the ghost not to be able to cross over if you believe in such thing of crossing over to heaven or hell or you know all the other possibilities what makes them stay and keep on inhabiting a house so that's that that was one of the questions i was like oh i'm super interested on this and i even i bitch i even went back to like my college days and i was like let me try google scholar but um yeah i couldn't find anything on google scholar either but what i did find in google scholar when I looked up how does a house become haunted, because I guess that's the only thing I really want to know, was uh, you know a publication, and it's called House Mo- Mothers and Haunted Daughters. And it's Shirley Jackson and the Female Gothic, and it's written by Roberta Rubenstein and from the American University. Okay, but do y'all remember the short story called The Lottery? I think if you went to school in the United States or in California, we all read the short story, The Lottery in English class at some point in our lives. And it was where they, at the end, whoever, I guess, wins the lottery gets killed by like, you know, just throwing rocks at them by like stoning them to death. Is that a thing? Yeah, right. It's called stoning them. Like, I know it was a thing back then. Do y'all remember that story? I was like, it was written by none other than Shirley Jackson, Miss Haunting of Hill House herself. Isn't that crazy? Dude, that story was fucking crazy. Like why why did why did they teach us that? Was that like a morality lesson? I don't I don't why did we read that short story? <laughs> like talk about the trauma after reading it. Were you traumatized? I was like, oh, you know, she's gonna win something nice after she wins the lottery and then she gets stoned to death. That was fun. That was a nice little, you know, um, remember uh, reminiscing on my school days. Was this in like, did, did we read this in elementary or was it middle school or high school? I can't recall. I really hope we read this in high school because if we read this at any other stage in our lives, like what the fuck, what the fuck was the US system of education thinking? Like, I don't get it. I think, I think I'm gonna sue the California state of education uh, for my trauma. And I'm gonna blame it on reading the lottery too young. I think you should join me. Let's start a, a clause. It's I think it's called a clause when a lot of people know it's probably not called that. It's probably not called that. <laughs> but we should do uh, where we all come together and sue an institution. I think we should do it together. Imagine, imagine. That would be so much fun. <laughs> I don't have money for lawyers, but maybe a lawyer could join our group or, or clause. <laughs> so obviously, uh, 
the publication uh, regarding Charlie Jackson's work, um, it does reference The Haunting of Hill House, but obviously not the TV show. It references the book, and it kind of talks about the um, distinctions between mother and daughter and then eat or be eaten in uh, Shirley Jackson's works. And it does give an example of Hill House. And I just figured I would read a few of the lines, uh, like quotations, and then just give my thoughts on it. So in the first one is, in the haunting of Hill House, the mother is dead and the daughter is confined within a house that functions figuratively as the externalized maternal body, simultaneously seductive and threatening. So, it's comparing well first of all it's talking about the book right but i'm just like applying it to the tv show so it's comparing uh or personifying the house to be some type of uh motherly figure so that's why the people confined within it within it are so comfortable but at the same time so scared of it kind of like a relationship you have with your mother that you you love your mother and you're comfortable with her but at the same time you're like fuck I better not get her mad you know (laughs) and on the second um quotes it's for Eleanor Vance the mother the mother's death precipitates the daughter's existential homelessness and her literally annihilating experience of being lost the loss of self and we can see, see that all throughout the TV show, specifically on the episode for Nellie, and then the episode that came up afterwards, we find out that Nellie was involved in a lot of things. So she tried like a lot of different religions. She tried a lot of different things and none of them worked out for her because she was lost. She didn't know what she wanted from life and what she what she was good at and she the only time she didn't feel lost was when she was married but that only lasted like a couple uh, just a small time of her feeling like she found her person and then um we go back to like her always talking about her siblings and always worried about her siblings but never talking about herself you know so i guess that this quote applies to that and uh the other one it's like being drawn to the house like a small creature swallowed whole by a monster and how they never saw it coming and it goes back to the siblings being within the red room and never knowing it because the red room uh camouflaged the red room i can't pronounce camouflaged 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 I literally, I literally can't pronounce that word. Okay. The red room became whatever uh, the crane child felt the most at home or the most comfortable at. Okay, but let's move on to the part that you have all been waiting for. The questions asked by the listeners of this podcast. So let me just get started with the first one. So this one was asked by my dear friend Fern. Shout out to Fern. And the question is, do you think the Hill family were inherently bad people? No, I don't think the Hills were bad people. Did they have issues? Yes, but just 
the you know every family has issues so we know that william hill married poppy and both of them were clinically insane so again we see this theme of mental health issues we also see that the bedridden ghost that probably died in hill house due to old age and she seems pretty sane like she it turns out that she is the sister of william hill and uh, she like notes her disgust with her sister-in-law like she's like oh you know poppy uh, she lies when that uh, in the screaming mimi's episode where um you know olivia's in a trance and uh, the lady comes out and she like looks outside the door and she's like oh poppy's lying and she just goes back to bed and well i think poppy uh no well poppy became a hill through marriage and I just think that the house amplified her to become like this evil ghost, especially since uh, her babies were both taken by the house. So just to answer your question, um, in conclusion, house equals bad. People who lived in the house equals uh, victims. The second question was asked by Iliana. Uh, did you like Nell's character development or was she just a tool for the plot or was she complex to you? I like Nellie's character development because from the first episode, she's practically considered like the black sheep of the family. Well, her and Luke. So I have a soft spot in my heart for all black sheep. And I think that the decision to kill her off right in the first episode made me even more invested on her story especially uh why why her out of all the other siblings and for your second question i definitely think she was both complex and a tool at the same time if that makes sense if that makes sense uh like her character was needed to set the whole story in motion but i just love the episode of the two storms because a lot was revealed about nelly and her personality that we didn't even get the chance to see during the bent neck lady episode uh next question this one's from joshua uh and it's why did nell's ghost in the car have to scare us like that i wanted to turn it off oh my god uh as i've mentioned this before uh, this is probably my favorite pop-up scare in the history of pop-up scares. But I think this scene was not only needed like to scare the shit out of us, because it did, but it was needed to bring everything back into perspective. So at this point, Shirley uh, was angry with Theo for quote-unquote kissing her husband, and Theo was just over trying to explain to Shirley what actually happened. So Shirley wasn't listening, so they were just talking over each other and arguing. And Nellie popping up like that was like a moment of clarity almost because it reminded, reminded them of why they were there. And it finally made Shirley shut up for a quick second so Theo could explain to her what truly happened. It was terrifying, yes, but necessary. Uh, the next few questions are from uh, Kelly. Shout out to Kelly. Um, so why did Hill House let Steven go? Um, so even though Hugh said that Hill House was probably the most dangerous place for Steven to be at, I don't necessarily think that to be true. 
I believe that it was the most dangerous place for the people that were in that in the red room that one infamous night. So Olivia, Abigail, Nellie, Hugh, and Luke. And if we really think about it, Luke is the only one that managed to escape with his life. Barely, but he did. And I also think that once you become a ghost in Hill House, you have some sort of power. And maybe the house or the other ghosts were kind of respecting the agreement made by Olivia and Hugh, like um, an eye for an eye or a life for a life. Or Stephen was being protected by Olivia, Hugh, and Nellie as he left the premises. And these are all just my thoughts, so it could also be neither. Um, and I just got to sit down with Mike Flanagan and ask him these questions, <laughs> to be honest, to get, like, actually correct answers. Maybe he doesn't even know. He's like, I have no fucking clue. <laughs> Next question. Will the new Crane baby, so Lee, Lee and Steven's baby, be fucked up and have the same destiny as the Dudley's babies? I don't think so because Shirley's kids seem pretty normal, uh, brats, but normal. And to be honest, the Crane siblings were fucked up because they never really talked about what happened in Hill House. And they basically suppressed the fact that they spent a summer in a haunted house. And since now Steven knows the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Just kidding. <laughs> about everything that happened in Hill House. And basically, he's the only sibling that knows the full truth. And that might make him like a better protector of his child. Also, Lee has never been to Hell House and the Dudleys worked in that house and would be there at all hours of the day before they set their boundaries. So that might also have an impact like uh, Mrs. Dudley being pregnant while working in the house. Uh, and this question from Kelly broke my heart. <laughs> and it's, Who's going to carry Mr. Dudley to Hill House once he's dying? Oh, my God. This is a tough one. But to be completely honest, I think that Mr. Dudley wouldn't want to die at Hill House. I feel like he doesn't want to be another victim of the house. And he only did it for Mrs. Dudley because he loved her so much and knew that it would mean for her to finally be able to be reunited with her children. Oh, I'm tearing up. Do the Dudley story just get to me? It gets to me because they deserve so much better. And uh, next question, also from Kelly. Uh, what if Steven dies before the Dudleys? Who will keep the promise? Fuck, I don't know. So the house was originally bought by Hugh and Olivia. Fuck the real estate person that sold it to them. But whatever, uh, besides the point, irrelevant. And then it was, quote, unquote, passed on to Steven once, you know, well, Olivia died a long time ago. But then once Hugh died... I feel like Steven might have like a will prepared just in case he dies and where he will like have information about who he will pass this secret onto and the deal. And maybe it'll be Shirley since she's the second oldest. Or Lee might actually know about the secret and the deal because I feel that after the things that Steven uh, experience in Hill House, he is honest to Lee about everything in his life. Well, at least I hope so. <laughs> and the last question is, why is there no Dudley spinoff? Shit, 
I don't know. Uh, let me call my boy Mike Flanagan right now and bounce some ideas off of him because I would love to see a prequel to this show. Like the Dudleys meeting each other in the house and falling in love surrounded by ghosts and shit. Uh, that would make my little heart so happy. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much for to all of you that submitted questions. I really loved answering them to the best of my ability of course uh, hopefully you like the answers i tried i really tried um but moving on to why this show fucked some of you up the first person that wrote in is terry and this is how uh she started not me writing a 10 page research paper of the show <laughs> uh i'll i split it up by category because i have that type a personality so she started with production. I don't typically typically like storylines told in flashbacks because it loses rewatchability for me. But there's so many de details missed in the first watch from early episodes. So I actually think I could rewatch this and catch a lot of new things the second time around. So that's a big plus. Yes, I totally, totally agree with this. Um like I've mentioned maybe a million times, I watch the show, I don't know how many times at this point, and every time I watch it, I swear, I swear to God, every time I watch the show again, I catch something new. So yes, you'll definitely catch uh, new things if you rewatch. Um, the next section is storyline. Family drama themes are great, like I told you before, hit very close to home. However, the resolutions of each sibling in the last episode did not make me feel particularly excited for them. Except Luke, uh, his is wholesome as fuck and a uh, perf resolution. But the other siblings got back together with their partners, but I wasn't really invested in any relationship. So I was like, and she put the emoji where like he's holding his like shin just thinking, like the emoji. Uh, a solution would have given uh, would have been to give each sibling two episodes to invest more in them. Like, think about it this way. Steven, we go from seeing him and Lee have issues to him not telling her he can't have kids. Um, angry face emoji. Yes, super angry. And then and then to them happily together. I even almost believed it was the real Lee during uh, the, the last episode because I didn't get a chance to know her character at all. I was like, damn, is that really how she feels? Maybe. I actually do think Lee feels like that. Um, yeah, I do think she feels like nothing is real to Steven until he writes it. Um, so, and then... Shirley, uh, being business partners with her husband obviously put a strain on the marriage. Then seeing that he lied about uh, taking Stephen's money to her giving him a hard time for the thing with Theo and then just confessing that she cheated. Justice for Kevin, TBH, another episode or going more in depth about their life would have helped make sense why they stayed together. And then we go to Theo. Most of the show, I was confused if she liked Trish or not. Me too. Me too, Terry. I was very confused because she was giving her the cold shoulder and only calling her over to fuck. Uh, so, yeah, I get being confused. Um, uh, so the U-House scene at the end felt like an attack on the LGBT. <laughs> 
like they just did that relationship for show. <laughs> oh god. I hope I'm like interpreting this correctly, like because they just got together after just knowing each other for so little or what? <laughs> Sorry. I'm just assuming at this point. Um, so yeah, mainly uncertain where they were, so needed more character arc. In a way, I understand we're not supposed to like all the characters, and by omitting parts of their arc, it's easier to dislike. But my personal self-serving need for redemption wasn't fulfilled. <laughs> so yeah, I think I would have been equally or more satisfied if all these people left their current relationships and truly started a new chapter or new book for Steven <laughs> of their lives. Like new chapter after the house, after their old life, and starting absolutely everything fresh you know what the relationship with um lee and steven really yeah i for just just lying about something so big it's just like mike flanagan give lee some balls why can't she leave this man what's so special about steven you know like oh yeah he's a big deal writer okay his only good book was the haunting of hill house and all the other ones have been pretty shitty um so yeah i don't understand why they stay together so i completely agree with you uh theo trish like i mentioned yeah we never really knew if um <laughs> Theo liked Trish till the end like she like basically was like what the fuck are you doing during Nelly's funeral like why the fuck are you here you know I didn't invite you uh the only ones I'm like okay like Kevin and Shirley I kind of understand like I'm not saying cheating in a relationship is okay it's not but she did need to come forth with what happened or i don't know ignorance is bliss sometimes <laughs> my boy kevin could have been happy for the rest of his life not knowing that his wife cheated on him you know so it's complicated uh but moving on so uh terry was like i think i like i liked of the story progression is that at first i was trying to guess uh what was happening and trying to differentiate real from haunted but as we learned more info of the house through the episode, I realized I kept getting it wrong and I didn't understand the house either. So halfway through, I just decided to shut my brain off and stop trying to decipher everything in real time and just absorb the content and let it tell it to me as it goes, which I think is brilliant and amazing that they were able to get me to just soak it all in without critical thought until the end. <laughs> And then she has a section on the podcast. She's like, uh, your podcast, Lady Gaga meme. <laughs> Talented, brilliant, incredible, amazing, show-stopping, spectacular, never the same, totally unique, completely not ever been done before, unafraid to reference or not reference, put it in a blender, shit on it, vomit on it, eat it, give birth to it, and then clapping emojis. And then uh, it's numbered. I cackled at least once an episode, but usually a lot more. Your intros and side tangents are so funny to stay engaged, even as a one-person show, which I can't imagine is so hard. It is. It really is. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. 
Number two, having the take a shot bid is so funny, and I'm glad I never played along because I would have been <laughs> I would have been ba- wasted before noon with peace and love. Yeah, dude, I mispronounce so much shit. I don't know. I don't know if it's because I'm bilingual. Do other bilingual people just mispronounce shit all the time? But it's definitely a struggle. Sometimes I don't even notice it. Like I go back and edit it and I'm like, how come I fucking didn't notice I mispronounced that word? And I'm like, now I'm too lazy to edit it. So it's like, it's there. (laughs) Number three, I'm a wuss and don't like suspense because because it actually makes my anxiety elevate and it's not fun. But listening to your pod and then watching the episode was perfect for sensitive me to not feel anxious and actually enjoy the episodes and only feel anticipation for when I could listen, watch the next episode. You know what? Um, my friend Kelly also told me this because Kelly is also a big one. <laughs> she at first she was like, "I'll support your podcast, but I won't watch the show." And then she actually started watching this show, and she said the same thing that it helped her because she knew when the scary parts were coming. And number four, I can confidently say I would have never felt comfy enough to watch it without your pod. And I'm super excited for your next season. Oh, Terry, you're going to make me cry. Like I mentioned before I started going through through your feelings, uh, thank you so much for your support and being part of the Fucked Up Fam community and that, sh- the, that show fucked me up community. I honestly can't. Thank you enough, Terry. I also want to go ahead and share the thoughts that my friend Brianna provided. And I just want to thank you in advance, Brianna, for, you know, uh, your genuine thoughts and how raw they are because they deal with um, themes of mental health and mental illness. So here it is. Where the hell do I start? I'm just going to write and edit edit things out later. Or maybe I won't. When you realize that the Betneck lady has been Nelly the entire time, it's mind-blowing but also seems exactly right, almost obvious. Nelly keeps trying to tell everyone, show everyone all her experiences, and no one listens. No one ever listens to her. As more and more time passes, Nelly grows more and more fearful and is visited by the Betneck lady more frequently. Things get better. Things get worse. The Bendek lady comes and goes the same way. I'm not sure if the show is trying to show the parallels of being haunted and having a mental illness, but this is always how I saw the characters from the very beginning. I believe they're seeing ghosts, but I also believe that they're, they truly are mentally ill. Nellie makes me think about my mental health and my childhood. I remember telling my parents I didn't feel well, didn't like something, or was uncomfortable, and I was always treated as if I was making it up. I always looked at everyone else as being able to just live, and I could never do that. As early as kindergarten, I had behavioral issues in school, and it wasn't necessarily me behaving badly. It was more so me not being able to follow whatever the normal routine was. Things just never made sense to me. I was told to do things one way or act one way or another, and it just never made sense. I would get in so much trouble and never understood why, because I wasn't doing anything wrong. But you're not listening to me, came out of my mouth all the time. But no, I was considered dramatic. At one point, even my own siblings would just tell me to be quiet, that if I just stopped stopped talking, 
I wouldn't get in trouble anymore. My family didn't realize that by telling me to sit down and shut up, they were forcing me to disappear. Why am I so isolated now? Why do I struggle to share my feelings? Why do I find it so hard to ask for help? Because you told me not to. You forced me to. Because you trained me to. I have to pause watching the episode where Nelly kills herself because it's so triggering. You spend all your life grasping for some fucking help and not only do you not get it but you're treated as a burden and those same people have the nerve to ask themselves why did she do it why didn't she tell us why didn't she say something where was the sympathy when she was crying for help it's awful i truly appreciate nelly's character i feel we're almost the same person constantly caring for others and finding happiness and taking care of those we love I always said I fight in peace and knowing my loved ones are okay, but I realize now that that was me still fighting for love within myself. I don't want to end up like Nelly. I want to spend my life, I don't want to spend my life like this just to die alone because that's the whole point, right? The whole problem is that I've always been alone and you tell, your side, you tell yourself dying alone makes sense, but it doesn't. It's actually the complete opposite of what I and many others want. We want to be loved and appreciated and heard. We're not going to get that from death. We have to figure out how to live. We need help and support to survive. I guess my whole point is that I saw Nellie's ghost as a representation of her trauma and her mental health deteriorating. She would suffocate whenever the bat neck lady showed up. She couldn't speak or scream. Even in her sleep, she couldn't be heard. It all ties together. Her death could be seen as a manic episode and her brain trying to free itself of so much pain. I mean, even when you look at the other siblings, what do you see? Luke is a junkie. Steve refuses to believe he's not okay. Shirley blocks it out and works too much. Theo drinks and can't be touched. Olivia had psychosis and the dad... He honestly might be the only semi-same one there. Are they being haunted by ghosts or by their own traumas? Ooh, Brianna, amazing. And I told this to Brianna when she um, said that to me and I read it for the first time. I love hearing other people's perspectives because we're the creation of our own realities and all of our thoughts stem from our childhood, our traumas, how we were raised. So it's all, we all see things differently. And again, thank you, Brianna, for sharing this. I know this was very personal and close to home, but you know, maybe someone like listening to the podcast might find this helpful. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And we have gotten to the end of the bonus episode. The first season of my podcast, that show fucked me up. And oh, The Haunting of Hill House truly did fuck me up. And I know it fucked a lot of you up. Uh, my apologies for that. Mm, sorry, not really. I feel like you had to experience this. It was, it was necessary. It was required. And I know I said that I would tell you which show I'm going to cover in season two. Uh, before I do that, I do want to tell you that I'm going to take 
Um, so there's not going to be a new episode next week. So I'm going to take a week hiatus just to prepare. But the week after that, or the Thursday after that, I will be releasing the first episode of season two. I want to keep things as consistent as possible. So, you know, I'm just taking a week off for myself and to prepare and to just get ready for what's coming. And without further ado, season two of that show fucked me up is drum roll please mayor of east town starring kate winslet hell fucking yeah dude hell fucking yeah this show fucked me up so badly um you know true crime or crime stories uh, mixed with family drama, that's my shit, yo. That's my shit. And I hope you are all as excited as I am. If you haven't watched Mare of East Town yet, you can catch it on HBO Max. Go watch it. Or if you want to continue the tradition of listening to the podcast episode episode first and then watching the actual uh, show episode, I would love that. Um, but yeah, that's what we're going to do. And I'm really, really excited. And I hope you are too. So thank you all so much for supporting me and for being here along the way as I try to decipher this whole podcast thing. It means the world to me and I, I don't know how I will ever repay you. So, yes, we've gotten to the end of our episode. You already know the drill. Follow us on our social media. On Twitter, we are the uh, that, D-A-T, show, fucked, and then fucked is spelled without a U, and then it's me up. So, that show, fucked, without a U, me up. On Instagram, where that show effed me up, you already know the drill. If you want to follow me on my personal account, you can follow me on my creative Instagram, where you'll be updated on all creative endeavors that I'm currently involved in. That is Mariel, so my name, underscore the underscore creative. Or you could just follow me on my other Instagram where I post selfies because, yes, I'm a narcissist. and I enjoy looking at myself. There, I said it. I admit it. Uh, I think I'm beautiful. I think I'm the most beautiful person that ever came into this world. But that's just me trying to hype myself up and to build my self-esteem. If you believe it, it will become true. Uh, but that one is Mariel VC underscore 95. So follow me there if you want. If you want, you know, I'm not pointing a gun to your head. This is all voluntary. (laughs) Um, You know, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave leave us a leave me a five star review on Apple Podcasts. I would really appreciate that. Oh, and just a heads up, I'm going to start adding ads to the next season. I wanted the first season to just be ad free so you can enjoy it. But, you know. Your girl's trying to make some coins, so that's what we got to do. So, again, thank you so, so much. And remember, be gentle, be kind, and don't be an asshole unless you absolutely have to. Goodbye.